Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. This is a supplement to the teaching ministry at Calvary Tucson. If you have any questions about any of the studies or hot topics or prior Q&As, you can bring them up, as well as asking anything that you want to about apologetics and prophecy or Christian living, maybe a situation that you're dealing with now. Our first question today comes from a comment that was left on our YouTube channel. And the question was asked about Revelation chapter 6 and whether or not the third horse that comes out and brings inflation with it is connected to trying to find workers today. And I I responded to it there and I thought we would cover that here first of all. I want to bring up the text and show you what this says. First of all, uh, again, this is the third seal. It says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius is a day's wages for a soldier. So a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Again, three quarts of barley for it. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, this tells us that at least by the time that you get to the to Revelation, uh, that there is inflation. And we're seeing inflation now at rates that we haven't since the 70s. And in fact, since CPI has been changed, it probably wasn't even this high in the 70s. And when this is sustained over a decade or a decade and a half, it's very difficult for people to be able to handle it. And people are having some trouble making ends meet right now. You can imagine in the tribulation when inflation hits. Now, there was a song a while back, and when I say a while back, I mean in the early 70s, that said something like a a bag of gold could buy a loaf of bread. And I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to people who have been Christians for a long time, and they say that line to me, the Bible says a bag of gold will buy a loaf of bread. And I'm always like, "Mm, no, that's a song from the 70s. Nevertheless, this passage out of uh, Revelation chapter 6 helps us to understand there will be inflation in those last days. Now, remember, we're living, the, the last days are characterized by tragedies that are brought on by birth pains. And I believe that we're living in the midst of one of those birth pains right now. And then things settle down, and then there's another birth pain. That's why. Uh, It's the Bible says that the Lord comes like a thief in the night at a time when people don't expect it. Coming back probably for his church right at the beginning of a birth pain. When we see everything going crazy like it's going right now, we have a tendency to say Jesus is coming back immediately. However, we hope that he doesn't come back immediately because we want more people to be saved. Yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And yes, we do want to be with him, but we will be with him whether he comes back in the next year or the next 50 years. And I've learned that we want to occupy why we wait, that we would see people come to Christ. Pray for the people around you that don't know the Lord as we see the signs, wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, famines, great earthquakes in various places are signs that we are in the midst of a birth pain. And one of these birth pains is going to bring forth the very, very last days. So um, the question that I got was, do I see the inflation of the last, the inflation that we have now or the inflation in Revelation chapter six, do we see that connected to people not being able to find workers today? 
unemployment is at an all-time low and people are quitting and it's hard to find people who will work as waiters or even nurses, uh, even skilled positions, it's hard to find people for that. And I do think that that is connected to inflation. If you, you got to pay more for the people that you're hiring, then you're going to have to charge more. And so things do go up. So I do see a connection there, but it's important for us when we look at the tribulation period to know that there will be inflation in those days. And the tribulation period is like the last birth pain that brings forth the Messiah. Everything, pestilences, famines, earthquakes, all come just over the top during the tribulation period. So it's good to see you guys. This is our uh, Truth Quest podcast Q&A. Uh, we'll take questions from you. If you have a question, write the word question or a question mark in front of it. Write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and we'll do our best uh, to be able to get to it. We're also taking one question at a time um, throughout the course of the Q&A. If we get to the end of it and still have some time left, uh, then we will go ahead and uh, then we'll go ahead and uh, take your question the, for one of the first questions that you brought. All right. So we have our first question here from Rod. Is that right? I want to make sure uh, to go. Uh, yeah, I think our first question is here from Rod. Rod, good to see you. And uh, Rod says, is, um, is Lucifer fell like lightning? Once we are in heaven, could we also fall? If Lucifer fell like lightning, once we are in heaven, can we also fall? Um, yeah, thanks, Rod. I appreciate that question. When we think about God creating the angels, he created them in glory, but he gave them a choice. They could either stay in glory or they could fall from glory. When God created man on the earth, the terrestrial creation, there was a celestial creation, and we see that God created the angels to rule with him as well, and he created man to have dominion over the earth, but men were on the earth and fell and then have redemption where we can now receive salvation, where as far as we can tell, the angels can't receive salvation. So I think that once we are in heaven, there's no way that we are going to be able to, to fall. The angels had a choice. God has always given us a choice and we have a choice today whether we're going to serve him or not serve him. And if we make a decision to follow him, then I believe, and I lean towards, I've shared this before, I try not to be really dogmatic about things like once saved, always saved, because the Bible at certain places gives certain statements that make you go, huh, that sure seems like it's saying that we got to hang on and do what's right until the end. And um, a few of them are in the book of Galatians that we're studying on Wednesday nights right now. Um, but when it comes to eternity, there's no way we can fall away. It might be right now that once you committed your life to Christ, genuinely given your life to Christ, if you leave, he will come after you because he'll leave the 99 and go after the one and that you, you cannot lose your salvation. I think that that is a possibility. And um, I lean towards that. Although every once in a while, like I said, I read a passage and go, oh boy. And um, Maybe I should stop talking about it unless a certain question ends up coming up. So yes, Lucifer did fall from heaven and, and Satan, the, the well, Lucifer's not his name, right? Lucifer is Latin for morning star. And in, in Isaiah 14, 12, where Lucifer, he calls him Lucifer, oh morning star. He's mocking him because he wanted to present himself above the throne of God. And he says, how you have fallen from heaven, oh morning star. 
All right. And we can talk about that later on if you want to. But um, yeah, we will not be able to fall once we're in heaven. Once we're there, we're there. It's not going to be a possibility. All right. So uh, Psych Man, good to see you. Psych Man says, Jesus leaves the 99, which I just talked about, perhaps safely in heaven to look for the one. Pays the guy who worked one hour the same as those who toiling all day. I see Israel in uh, in these. Granted, maybe also, but them and you, um, but them and you say thank you. All right. So um, Jesus leaves the ninety nine and goes after the one, perhaps in heaven. Um, maybe I've never looked at it that way. Uh, and then uh, he pays them the same. I see Israel in these. Um, let's see. So Jesus is is giving these parables, obviously for the church because they're going to be recorded, but he's saying them in a setting that is Jewish because he's Jewish and the Galilee's Jewish. And when he's in Jerusalem, it's Jewish. So wherever these statements are, he's saying them to those who are Jewish. Uh, is, do we see Israel in this statement like they've left and now Jesus is going to bring them back? And we do know that the Bible tells us that they are all going to be saved. I think that's Romans 11, 25 and 26, uh, that they're going to come back. Uh, and then uh, the other one was, what was the other one that you brought up here, Psych Man? Um, oh, he pays everybody the same wages. And um, I do love that particular parable because it tells me that I shouldn't worry about what God does for you, but instead that God's being fair to me. If God blesses someone above me, God is still being fair to me. And so we need to be content. And if God is blessing the church over Israel, could God be saying that? I don't see that in context, although maybe not. Maybe maybe it is. Um, I don't, as, as I think about it, um, I, yeah, I don't think so. I think he's telling us, I think he's telling us, like, man, you're going to leave the 99. I'm going to go after the one. That's not about leaving the 99, right? It's about going after the one. So that as the one that's walked away, he's going to come and find you. And I have that in my life. I walked away and God came and got me. And I have that. I know that he loved me and came and got me. And I have no doubt that he came and got me. And if you've ever heard me talk about it, uh, you realize that. And uh, that is what that is. And the the per person who gets saved, like the guy, the thief on the cross, gets saved the, that last moment he can. And he makes it into heaven just like somebody who served God his entire life. And I think that's uh, some of the points that are being made there. And we could also point to some other uh, points from those parables. So thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate that. Uh, we have another question from Albert. Albert says, hello, Pastor. I wanted to hear your thoughts on Daniel 12, 12. I've recently read that some biblical scholars believe the extra 45 days may be the gathering and judgment of Gentile nations. All right, well, let's go there. And I, I think it'd be good for us to go here. We talked about this uh, here on our, our Truth Quest podcast not that long ago. But let's go to Daniel and look at Daniel 12. 12. He's wrapping things up here. He's telling him that he's going to go, that these things are for the time of the end. Men are going to go to and fro on the earth and knowledge is going to increase. And then in Daniel 12, it says, Daniel 12, 12, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, but you go your way till the end. And that's um, 45 days more 
then, well, we go back one uh, verse and it says, and from that time, the daily sacrifice is taken away. The abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. That's three and a half years, according to the Babylonian calendar. But blessed are those who wait and come to the 1,335 days. And that's 45 more days than the, from the abomination of desolation till the return of Jesus. So the idea is that when Jesus returns to the earth, that the angels go out and gather, and this is Matthew 24, 29 through 31, the angels go into the four corners and gather those who are there. In fact, let me go ahead and pull that up here, just again to get some clarity since we're talking about whether or not these extra 45 days could be uh, the, the gathering for judgment of the Gentiles. And what I wanna see in this text specifically, um, Albert, is if the Jews are mentioned here specifically, or if, we have uh, Gentiles being mentioned here in the regathering after the return of Jesus. So let me go ahead and um, bring this up for you. So we're going to get to verse 29. Now, a lot of people will try to call this the rapture of the church, and, and it happens obviously after the second coming of Jesus. But there's a lot of differences between this and the rapture of the church. And, and by the way, when people say, I don't believe in the rapture, then you're denying scripture. Because the Bible says we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. The timing of the rapture is what is debated, not whether or not there is a rapture. And um, many believe that this is the rapture. Those who believe in post-tribulation call this the rapture, but it's different. Uh, Jesus comes to the earth. We meet him in the air. We're going to go be with him. He's going to come down here and rule and reign in this event. So let's pick it up and take a look at it. Remember, we're specifically looking at whether or not those 45 days could be days for gathering the Gentiles. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun and the moon will be darkened, or the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will far from the heavens, and the power of the heavens will be shaken. A heaven quake, crazy. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And it comes back on the clouds. In the, for the rapture of the church, he was in the clouds, and we met him in the clouds. And then it says, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, which is like the rapture, and they will gather together his elect. So his elect here is probably a reference to Jewish people. When you read the elect in the book of Revelation, it's talking about Jews. And he protected them and, and by, by hiding them from the wrath of the dragon during the book of Revelation, from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. And so again, this is a different event than the rapture of the church. So the thought is that it takes 45 days for these people to be able to be gathered from around the world. And that's what you're bringing up here. Uh, I guess it's a possibility. Do I think that there is a for sure thing on it? No. Could it be that could God could gather all of his elect, um, but there are people that survive that are going to populate the millennium period. So blessed are those who make it to the 45 days. Um, that, that's the judgment, the great white judgment throne. Um, and maybe it's, uh, 
I don't know that it's that cut and dry. Uh, I wish there was just a really strong answer, Albert, to whether or not that's really the case. This is the suggestion that some people are making, and I'm just going to say maybe. Uh, there are a lot of things that I stay neutral on that I would love to be able to take a stand. And, and perhaps there would be something else that could be added to that that would make us go, yeah, we can make a stand here. And and this is what that extra 45 days is. But I haven't heard anything that's 100%. That's as good as anything I've heard, but I haven't heard of anything that is 100%. So we have a question from Fact Check These Hands about the uh, Great White Judgment Throne. Do believers witness the Great White Throne Judgment? If so, will they testify or participate in any way? Not as I understand it, fact check these hands. So we are we are resurrected. And, and those that are resurrected after the tribulation period, those Christians that have died and they have their resurrection, that's the first resurrection. And it's not the first resurrection because it's the first person resurrected. Jesus was the first one resurrected. Then you have the resurrection at the rapture of the church. And then you have the resurrection after the tribulation period those are all the first resurrection and they are just opposed against the second death when there's a resurrection of the rest of the the dead who are not in christ and then there's the great white judgment seat and the books are opened and god judges them so the books are there and there's nothing in the bible that says that we will participate in any way or that we will testify for those that um, <clears throat> maybe did something against us or for first-hand knowledge that we've got God knows everything that's in the heart of man and the books will be opened and it will be undeniable. So I do not think that we will be participating in the great white throne judgment uh, as in some kind of negative in some kind of a negative way. By the way, I want to welcome you guys back who were on when I was cutting my hot topic and accidentally went live a little while ago. So some of you guys, all of a sudden I saw comments up there and here I am cutting the hot topic and I realized that I'm on <clears throat> live, which was pretty funny to see you guys there. At least I found it funny. I don't know if you did. And I also went and, era and erased that. So I'm having a little bit of trouble here. There we go. All right. Seems like I got a little bit of a few issues. Need to turn everything off and on here. Um, so um, Diana says, hi, hi, Pastor Robert. How do you tell the difference between a promise to all and a promise to specific people? All right, this is a really good question, Diana, because there are a lot of times where we take promises that are specific to a person or people and we make them broad. And maybe we can apply the principle to ourselves, but the promise not to us. An example of this is when God says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord in Jeremiah. Thoughts for you to have a future and to succeed, to have a future and a hope. And we say that's a promise to us. And you may be able to rebuild that through other promises, but that particular promise was to the nation of Israel. And God was promising it to Israel. Do I think it's massively wrong for a Christian to go, God knows his plans for me. Uh, he has given me a future and a hope. Plans for me to succeed and not fail. All of the things that are in there. Um, maybe. I, it depends on whether or not you can rebuild it. And I think at times, like a lot of the Psalms and a lot of the promises that we find in Jeremiah that are made to the nation of Israel, can be very comforting to an individual. 
because God gives such tremendous promises to Israel. And um, there's a time to not be a stickler about whether or not those promises in context were made to individuals in general. But to answer your question, Diana, it's going to be context that that you're going to be able to discover. Is this a promise that was made from God to mankind? And there are a lot of those promises. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. It's a promise given to Christians, all Christians. And if you do those things, then you know that that promise will come to pass. Uh, There are other ones that are for the nation of Israel or specifically for people at a certain time or a certain time frame. And only context can really help us to understand whether or not the promise is for us. But there are a lot of promises in the Bible, a lot of really good promises coming to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. That's a promise that applies to everyone, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you in Matthew 6, I think it's 644. That's to everyone. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto us. Uh, And and we could go on so many promises uh, that are made to us, but you do want to look at them in context. And um, I try not to be that big of a stickler. If someone quotes a promise that was made to Israel for themselves or quotes a promise that was made to a certain individual as if it's to all people, I try not to rain on people's parade, um, but sometimes I do think um, that's not the proper application for that particular passage. Although some of them can be rebuilt, so I don't know that it's that bad to say those things. But context is extremely important, and uh, we could talk about a lot of mistakes people make from not looking into context. So Keith, it's good to see you here. Thank you for joining us. Keith is on one of our moderators here. Uh, good to see you. Uh, we have a question from Jari. Jari says, if I can get his question here. Jari says, I heard that Jesus can't come until the whole world accepts Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus Christ. There are <clears throat> un, um, uncontacted, uncontacted tribes that still haven't heard the gospel. So is it safe to say the end isn't yet? So this is the passage out of Matthew 24, Jari, where Jesus says, and the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. And so what does all nations mean? And I would love to, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to find that quickly. Um, I don't know if somebody wants to throw that up here in the comment section and maybe we can look at it. It is Matthew 24. I'm not sure exactly where in Matthew 24 is. I might just take me too long to try to read through it here to find it. Um, I want to know what nations means. Is nations there ethnos, which we get ethnicity from, or is it another word for nations? Um, sometimes the word ethnos is, is used. And if it's talking about nations, it doesn't need to be every people group. If it's ethnos and it's properly divided in Greek by talking about groups of people, then it would be every people group. And I can't remember exactly where that is at. Um, Now, the, the real question is, let me think about how it's quoted again. So Jesus says, and then the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. 
So it doesn't have to be every person. It has to be all nations. And then we have to figure out what the categories of all nations is and whether or not that has been satisfied. Are there are still people groups today that have not been reached? Like you said, they're uncontacted tribes that haven't been reached. Are they, are, do they fit that particular promise? In fact, when you talk about the signs of his return, that's the only one. And the gospel will be preached around the world and then the end will come. That's the only real sign. Wars and rumors of wars and, and pestilences and famines and great earthquakes in various places are all signs of the birth pains that get more and more intense as time goes on as a reminder that we are living in the last days. But the real sign of the time that Jesus is going to return is that the gospel is going to be preached to all people and then the end will come. So if uh, somebody can put up in there what passage out of Matthew 24, he makes that statement, uh, then I'll go ahead and take time to look at that. All right. Thank you, Jari. Good question, by the way. Good question. Uh, So we have a question from Olivia. Olivia says, what is the difference between demons versus fallen angels in the Bible? Are they the same thing? Thank you, Olivia. I appreciate your question. And it's a good one because people have struggled with it. So we're told in Ephesians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Then when we compare principalities and powers to Daniel, we learn that Gabriel is a prince that fought the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia, and that Michael is the prince of the people of Israel. So princes, principalities, and spiritual hosts of wickedness are different spiritual beings that are created with different ranks and assuming different powers. The highest angelic being being a principality. And it's believed that Satan was a principality and then powers after that. And then hosts of wickedness or heavenly hosts. See the contrast between the two after that. Now there's been a lot of speculation as to whom the evil spirits were during the days of Jesus. It is really interesting that you don't have one deliverance in the Old Testament. Not one demon being cast out in the entire Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene and they're everywhere. Now, some people believe that these demons are the spirits of the Nephilim that were the result of men and women marrying, having children, or excuse me, men and angels marrying and having children and having the Nephilim. And because they're not human, their souls can't die. So their souls become the evil spirits. And that would be different than the heavenly host. And if you go back to some first century writings, you will find some different opinions about it. But when you come back to looking through the lens of scripture, trying to figure out what the Bible says, it seems that the signs of the times for the first coming of Christ was very clear and that there was a lot of demonic activity in the Galilee and around the region of Jerusalem at that time. Some believe in the ancient world and that we don't have that much demonic activity today. Although I do believe there is demonic activity. It just doesn't seem like it was any other time like it was during the days of Jesus. 
Uh, I believe that the demons that Jesus saw, the legion that he cast out, the demon he rebuked and wouldn't let speak, um, the seven demons that were cast out of Mary Magdalene were are, are the are the wicked hosts, the heavenly hosts that we battle against from the book of Ephesians. And um, I understand there are those who believe different things about that, but when it comes to demonology, when it comes to uh, Christians being demon-possessed or being demonized, there are all kinds of strange, weird beliefs. And since we've been told to be careful that no one deceives you, we don't want to believe something that can slightly be backed up or look like it's true. We want good, solid evidence for what we are going to believe. And it just looks like these demonic spirits were highly active in those days, in the days of the Messiah, and uh, that we don't have them as highly active as today. Now, there are those who say that they are, but I don't know that they are. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You can open yourself up to demonic forces. The Bible says, don't give, don't give a place for the enemy. Now, what exactly that means, if anyone is in Christ, the, he, evil, the, the evil one cannot touch him. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he does not sin, and the evil one cannot touch him. And then we go, well, I still sin, so maybe the evil one can touch me. Uh, but it's talking, we know that First John, that where it's that said, is the same place where it says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. So we know it's not about having no sin. It's that we now want to walk in righteousness with God. That's the sign to us that we are genuine believers, that we want sin out of our lives, and the evil one cannot touch you. Jesus gave his disciples power over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of enemy, the enemy, that nothing would by any means hurt you. He talked about an evil spirit leaving, coming back, finding the house clean and swept, but nothing inside, presumably the Holy Spirit not moving in. And so he's going and getting seven more demons, more vicious than himself and coming into that place. So I do think that these are the heavenly host, um, the, the host of wickedness, that is spoken of in the book of Ephesians that we battle against. And we put our armor on and we stand and we pray. It says nothing about deliverance. It says nothing about praying over and over again for a certain amount of time, but we stand and we pray. And we do know that we are wrestling against these demonic forces. And that's important for us to understand. Now, can you be demonized and need to be delivered? I don't think so. I think that's, a lot of times people will have experiences and they'll think that that's true by their experiences. But we don't build things off of our experiences. We build things off of the reality of what the Bible says and who God is. All right, so um, thank you very much for your question. I really appreciate that. So I'm having a little bit of trouble grabbing these today. Uh, so the whole truth says, and good to see you, whole truth. Good to have you here with us. If you're new here, uh, if you've jo just joined us, really good to have you. We do this every Saturday at four o'clock, every Wednesday at four o'clock. And um, it is, first of all, connected to our Bible study. Tonight, we're in Galatians. Uh, no, tonight, we're in Luke 21. And we're going to be talking about the signs of the times and the, the sorrows, birth pain sorrows, and what the last days will be like, and um, whether or not we should get too upset about what's happening in the world today and in, in Jesus returning. So the whole truth says, Pastor Robert, do you feel the administration is deliberately trying to crash the economy for the sake of moving to digital currency? And the implementation, 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 I'll get it sooner or later, 
of MS patient 060606. Okay, so the whole truth. I'm not familiar with MS patient 0606. Uh, let me just do something here real quick. I will just take a moment if I can do it fast um, and take a look this up real quick. All right, cryptocurrency system, a body data activity. What is patient 060606 microchip and uh, famous Bill Gates patient? Okay, so um, I can't take time to read this whole thing now. Um, this is the first time that I've heard of patient 0606 microchip. And um, so let me go back to your question. Um, do I feel that the administration is deliberately trying to crash the economy uh, for the sake of moving to digital currency an implication of MS patient 060606, um, which is interesting, that's 666. Um, I'm a little skeptical about the MS patient, by the way. I, I could be wrong, but those are the kind of things that I'm skeptical about um, as to whether or not those things are real. I, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Um, do I feel the administration is, is trying to crash the economy on purpose? Um, no, I don't. And again, this may be kind of a conspiracy theory that's out there. Uh, I think that our economy has been heading down a path uh, to be to crash for a long time. I think since we came out of the recession in 2009 and uh, we printed so much money to do that and we uh, kept interest rates low and we didn't, um, uh, we, we allowed the Fed to continue to do stimulation for so long that it just caused inflation to absolutely take off. And we're not the only ones that have done it. We're the ones trying to handle it now by the Fed raising interest rates. But around the world, in Europe and, and in Japan, they're not. And I don't know that there's any way for this to go. If I have any economic understanding at all, and that is questionable, right? I don't know how we can continue on or could have. The time to fix this was years ago. And then when COVID hit and we started printing more and more money, six, seven, eight trillion dollars since COVID hit, when our, I think that our, our GDP is, is 1.8 trillion. I think, what is our GDP? Whatever our GDP is, we're printing a lot of cash. We're printing a lot. We got $31 trillion, uh, uh, yeah, 31 trillion in debt now as a national debt for the United States. And um, there's MM theory, uh, monetary money theory, which believes that you can print as much money as you want to, and you can kind of print your way out of problems. And uh, it has nothing to do with taxes. It has everything to do with printing money. And it certainly seems like we're going down that MMT kind of a theory. Um, so are they deliberately trying to crash it for cryptocurrency? No, I don't think so. And, and here's why I don't think so. Because we already have a digital currency. I realize that it's not a cryptocurrency called the, the, the USD coin. I realize that. But when they, when Congress and the Senate and then the president signs a bill into law that adds $700 billion to the deficit of the United States, they're not printing that money. 
They're not sending an order off to have that money printed. They're putting it on a computer and, and then the money is there. This is digital currency, right? I, I realize it's not like the cryptocurrencies that take the blockchain and verify it to make sure that they're the, the, uh, act, the, the interaction is legitimate. I realize that. So it's different, but already China and the United States are just printing money without printing money. They're just typing numbers into a computer somewhere and that much more money is on the scene that can be spent and be taken out. Uh, I, I don't, I think our economy is already on its way down. I hate to be so incredibly pessimistic, but I, I think that we are like, like an addict that's addicted to heroin and we've gotten used to it. And the only way to get off of it is to go cold Turkey. You might give them methadone for a while, but they're going to have to go through pain in order to get off the heroin. We as the world are addicted to cheap money. And there's only one way to get out from under that rolling ball of inflation. And that is to inflict pain. And that's what our, our, the fed is trying to do now is to inflict pain so that the, the world stops running so hot. And we're already seeing that it's been effective to some degree. The housing market has pulled back some, uh, inflation. The last numbers were higher than ever. And as I said before, the CPI has changed since the 70s. The 70s included, uh, I think it's energy and food and the CPI number today doesn't. When we know how much has food gone up, it's crazy. When you, you go out and get a, you go out and get two burgers and it's, you know, 40 bucks and you're like, what? And of course, gas energy is so high on your house now. Uh, it's, it, it's crazy how much inflation is going up. So I'm, I, I don't know particularly the patient 060606, but I will look it up now. All right. And I am interested in it. And, um, I'd like to know more of this theory that they're deliberately trying to crash the economy. Um, I think they are falling into what every administration falls into. They don't want the administration that things collapse, then them to be the administration that things collapse under. And, and when that happens, you need someone really strong to be able to get the United States through it. And um, I don't want to be mean, but I don't know that Biden is that person that we want when there is a collapse. Uh, it would be good for the Republican Party, but it would be really bad for the United States overall. Uh, we probably want some kind of a slower collapse, more of a controlled collapse that causes things to be reset from where we are with this helicopter money and all the money that's been been printed and out there. And um, I don't know any easy way to do it. Uh, currencies themselves only last a couple hundred years. And some nations go into new currencies every 15 and 20 years. So there's, there's a lot there. So um, could I be wrong? The whole truth? Could they be trying to collapse it? Uh, I think if they wanted to do it deliberately, they could probably do it a lot better. Maybe people would argue with me. Maybe economists would argue with me that we're doing everything we can do to collapse it, but I don't think so. And um, I'm skeptical about patient 060606, especially since it's 666, but I'll take a look and maybe, maybe there's something to it. All right.
So thank you very much. Let me go ahead and look for another question here. All right, so um, Rod brings up another question about um, about Satan and uh, his body um, having musical instruments when he was a cherub in Ezekiel 28, 13. Let's try to remember that, Rod. Um, we're taking one question at a time now. Um, I'd love to address it. We'll um, either address it when we see if we run out of questions here or if um, you want to ask it on another Q&A. All right. So we have a question from Susan, and Susan is asking this question from Facebook, and it's a long question, so I'm not even going to bring it on here because it's just going to fill up my whole page. Um, but I'm going to read it to you, okay? Uh, so this is from Susan, and she says, "Does God God know in advance that we are going to sin? I have heard you say, along with countless others, that if we are genuinely saved." We have the Holy Spirit in us. For example, if God knows our spouse is about to sin against another, what would the Holy Spirit's what would the Holy Spirit's purpose? If God does indeed know that he is about that this is about to happen, since we have the freedom to choose whether to sin or not, we can't blame the action on Satan or God, but on ourselves, right? Question mark. Sometimes I, a sinner, feel the Holy Spirit is convicting me to not do a particular sin, so I don't. It's wonderful since God doesn't tempt us, then would he plan out for the future sins that defeats the concept of free will and accountability? No, question mark. Lead us not to temptation, Luke 9, 11, 19. How does this verse from the Lord's Prayer figure into this our discussion. I hope you understand my question. Thanks. Me too, Susan. What I mostly hope I understand, what I mostly hope is that I can remember uh, your whole points as I make my way all the way through this question. So God knows whether or not we're going to sin because God knows everything. God knows the beginning from the end. And he can tell us what happens before so. There is a theology out there that says that God doesn't know, but I believe that we can build the case from the Bible that God knows everything. He is omniscient. He knows it all. So God knows that we're going to sin. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and that doesn't take away our choice. We still have choice, and we still have consequences, and we need God's grace. And sometimes we sin without even knowing it. We And we I don't, I'm persuaded we don't know how bad sin is, in general. And so the Holy Spirit is convincing us. And and sometimes the Holy Spirit has convicted me. And like you said, I've stopped. And sometimes the Holy Spirit convicted me and I continue on. And I feel bad about that. Like you say, you feel good about it when it stops. Yeah. And I feel bad about it when I didn't do it. And the um, we still have free will and we still have grace. And we can still ask to forgive. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to um, to forgive us and to bring us into righteousness. So well, lead us not into temptation, I think is part of our daily battle against temptation. So I think there's a few things. Walk in the flesh and you will walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. So it's not enough just to have the Holy Spirit. We have to walk in the spirit. Then the fruit in our lives will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So by walking in the spirit, we have control to be able to overcome the flesh. 
And if we find ourselves having the works of the flesh, then we should come back and try to walk in the spirit more. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit, it says in Galatians 5.25, I think it is. So it's not enough just to live in the spirit. You've got to walk in the spirit too. And that brings about the fruit of the spirit, which will help us to battle against sin because we are given self-control. Other passages that I like are, um, delight yourself in the Lord who give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, abide in me and let my word abide in you and you will ask whatever you desire and it will be given to you. We're told to not give place to the enemy. We're told to put on the armor and stand therefore and pray. So we put on our armor and we stand and pray. We're told to pray in the Lord's prayer, deliver in the Lord's prayer, deliver us from the evil one and lead us not into temptation. And we see how we could be led into temptation when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the Holy Spirit might lead us to a certain place so that we can be tempted by something else because God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't is can't be tempted nor does he tempt anyone the Bible says. And so we pray. Lord, lead me not into temptation. When's the last time you prayed that? And I'm not just necessarily talking to you, Susan, but just in general. When's the last time you've been asked to be delivered? When is the last time that you gave no place to the enemy or fled temptation? The different kind of things that the Bible tells us to do or made sure that you have all of your armor on and are standing strong. These are the ways that we stand against temptation and falling into sin and and people try to make it into about other things but it's not it's really about these things so susan i i welcome a follow-up question um it's a little bit lengthy and so it's a little hard to follow all maybe what you're saying so if i didn't get part of that as i was talking about it um, then go ahead and re-ask your question as a follow-up and we will take a look at it so um thank you very much by the way susan for your question I do appreciate it. And if you are joining us for the very first time, really glad to have you guys here. Hope that you're blessed by the time that we are spending together. Uh, we uh, take time to take questions and look at them through the lens of scripture. If you have a question, then write out the word question and then rewrite the question a couple of times and then we'll go ahead and take a look at it. All right, so um, let's see. We've got another uh, question from Jari. Jari says, follow up. Um, Okay, yeah, so what is a follow-up? I wanted to make sure it was a follow-up there, Jari. Jari says, question, follow-up, clarification. I heard it was the rapture can't be imminent because every tribe has um, has heard the, has, hasn't heard the gospel yet. Um, here's the problem with it not being imminent. It has to be imminent. Jesus said, you don't know when I'm returning, so be ready. He didn't say, you don't know when I'm returning, so watch the signs and make sure they all are fulfilled and then get ready. He said, be ready, because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect him. So how can every, how can Jesus come back now and every tribe not here? Because in the book of Revelation, there are angels that preach the gospel throughout the entire world. And it could be, Jesus didn't say, and the gospel will be preached by the church. It says the gospel will be preached to every nation then the end will come. And it may very well be the angel that preaches the gospel, which is not the TBN satellite, by the way, which some said it was. That's not what it is. But um, that the rapture of the church could take place at any moment. 
In fact, I don't believe it could take place in the middle of the tribulation period because we'd expect it. He said, I'm coming back at a time you don't expect it. And then everything will unfold uh, that takes place after that. So um, this is probably one of the strongest reasons I believe in the pre-trib rapture that if it's if it's middle or the last, we'll know exactly when it is. And Jesus said, be ready. He didn't say, you know, wait until the abomination of desolation. He said that it was going to happen. And there was a time coming worse than anything this world has ever seen or anything that it's going to see. But he said, be ready. Also in Luke 21, I think around verse 35, he said, watch and pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. I think that's a promise to escape the things on the earth and stand before Christ. And um, also John 14, 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going away. And if I'm going away, I'm going to come and, re and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. He says, receive you to myself, not I'm going to come down and be with you as a return. He says, I'm coming again. He's going to come again for his church and then come again to establish his kingdom here on the earth. Two phases of his second coming. The first time he comes for the church, he doesn't come back to the earth. Because people will argue, well, that's three times he came. No, he came for his church. He came to the earth twice. In his second coming, the church meets him in the air. Um, it doesn't count as him coming to the earth. We meet him in the air and then we are forever with the Lord. Um, so good follow-up question, Jari. Good question in the first place with that and good follow-up question. Hopefully that helps. And I'll welcome another follow-up to the follow-up if that's uh, if there's still a question that is out there. All right, so again, good to see you guys. Good to have you here. Uh, if you have a question, then you can write the word question down and then write out your question. Make sure it makes sense and then go ahead and submit it. All right, so um, just taking a look here to see if there's any more questions before we wrap up our Q&A. Um, yeah, we have another question here from, I'm gonna butcher your name, Lynn. I'm just going to call you Lynn. How about that? So we have a question here from Lynn. Lynn says, Hi, Pastor Robert. If a young Jewish boy passes away, will they go to heaven? Curious. Friend. Thank you. I appreciate the question. Um, I believe that any young child that passes away goes to heaven. And I've built this case from the scriptures that God says of the children of Nineveh, he's talking to, to, um, to Jonah, and he says, are there not 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left? So God cares about these 120,000 having their life taken from them. David talked about the child who died that he would go and be with. And I think the <clears throat> fairness of whether you know the right hand from your left would go speak to an age of accountability. It would speak to whether or not someone is mentally capable to be able to make that decision. We know that a child isn't capable of making that decision. And there are some that believe, well, they weren't chosen. So, you know, they're bad people, they're sinners, and they're going to suffer in hell forever. But the Bible says that our God's going to be fair. And even though they call that fair, I don't know that that is fair. If someone can't make a decision, but they're going to burn forever for how they were born. I don't know that that's fair. And um, I realize I'm getting into the whole reformed theology issue right now. 
<clears throat> with this particular question. Um, but, um, yeah, but I don't think um, that, that that is the case. So I would say, I, I would say that if a child dies in the womb, if a child is miscarried, if a child is in a village and that's never heard the gospel, that that child goes into the presence of God. And that could explain why in Revelation chapter 5, we have people from every tribe, tongue, and language on the earth. It's different than the terminology we talked about earlier, where the gospel is preached to every nation. This is every tongue, tribe, and nation on the earth. And some of them are not around anymore that have people from them there, because it could be talking about those who died um, when they were younger. We also could talk about the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and those 20 and below um, that that God brought into the land and didn't hold them accountable for the older generation. Um, there are other passages that we talk about when we are building the case for whether or not um, there is an age of accountability. And if you're interested more in this, I've done a hot topic on it. And I didn't have an extra audience when I was doing that hot topic too, for those of you who joined me earlier from my mistaken live um, hot topic cutting. Uh, but we do have a hot topic on the age of accountability. So just go to YouTube, uh, go to our page, click on the little search box, and maybe Keith can find it and attach it to this um, now before we wrap up. Um, just go and look for the age of accountability. And uh, there is, I believe there's a full length teaching on it. And there is also a hot topic where we just kind of quickly get into the scriptures and can answer your questions about uh, children going to heaven. All right, so um, we have a follow-up from Barbara, and this is from a question that she asked a while back. So Barbara says, question, follow-up from last week. Lutheran church pastor stated that God's genderless. Yes, want to know about listening to this. Is it a false doctrine? I don't agree with him, but, uh, but, you're, but you're a caregiver. Yeah, you're a caregiver to someone that you're going to church to. Um, all right, God, that God's genderless. Is this a false teaching? Uh, God is spirit. And this is where he gets that from. God is spirit. And so if God is spirit, then he's genderless. God created the family, right? He created a, a father and a mother to have a child. And then God presents himself as our father in scripture, which is male. He could have presented himself as our mother, Mothers are nurturing. They, they care for their children. Fathers provide and are more disciplinarian, but they nurture as well. So there's a similarity between a father and mother, and God could have presented himself as a mother. He could have done that, but he didn't. He presented himself as a father. Does that believe that I think that God has a body of flesh and bones like I do? No. But God did become a man who was a male, Jesus. And then he was glorified and is now in his glorified body, which is going to be just like my human glorified body. And so I, I could argue, I could agree with him on certain points. And then I could argue, you certainly don't want to start calling God it or by some other pronoun. And I don't know where this guy's coming from. Maybe, maybe he is coming from kind of a weird place, Barbara. I mean, we're, we're living in a world where churches are trying to accept everything. And maybe it is false doctrine. I don't know that I can say it's false doctrine from what I've heard here. 
that he says God is genderless. I'd, I'd like to know, in order to make a decision, I would have to know what's his point from that. So he says God's gender. Okay, so God's a spirit. He has no gender. Okay, what's your point? If your point is God is spirit and he has no gender and all of the, the passages about he and our father in heaven are there for us to be able to relate to him, then maybe I could agree with him. But if he's trying to come to something else, which you could go all kinds of places here that wouldn't be proper or wouldn't be correct, then I would have major problems with whether or not this is a false doctrine. So it could be. Now, you're a caregiver and you're going to church with that person. I have no problem with you doing that with your job. You're there, you're ministering to her. Other people there are believers and um, just know what you're listening to. Just know that you got to take this stuff well, like the Bereans, only you don't receive it with all joy. You receive it with some skepticism. And then you search the scriptures to see whether or not these things are so. And it's not that he might not be able to bring up a passage that's really going to be helpful. But I'm not willing to say he's a false teacher. I just wonder what kind of points he was making. We have a question here, another question from L. Donald. L says, is it selfish for my husband and I to want more children in these, um, to you mean not want? Is that what I'm reading this wrong? Is it selfish for my husband and I to want more children in these last days since the world is so corrupt now? I don't want them to suffer. Um, is it self? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd call it selfish, but if you guys want more children, unless you're really feeling led by God not to have them, then I would say have more kids. For all we know, these last days could go on for a long time. Remember, there's birth pains. So things get crazy and then they lay off. Then they get crazy and then they lay off. And it could be that the Lord will not return for another 200 years. People cry out blasphemy. How could you say such a thing? Uh, it's less blasphemous than the person that says, Jesus is coming back within a year. That's a, that's, a, that's a more difficult statement because Jesus said in Luke 21 that not to be deceived by people and listen, listen to what he said. I actually want to pull this up on the screen. I want you to see this. And, and this is the danger of someone who preaches, who preaches this, who says, um, yeah, who, who says, uh, like the great disappointment. Jesus is coming back in this particular date. So people didn't plant their fields. They didn't, uh, this was in 1844. Imagine people not having kids then. There wouldn't be people alive today that have the gift of life because they thought they didn't want to bring children in during the great disappointment in 1844. Let me bring this up on screen and show you um, L here. So this is Luke 21. So they asked him saying, teacher, but when will these things be and what will be the signs what will be these, um, and what, what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. There are a lot of false Christs that have gone out into the world. And the time has drawn near. Notice what else they say. I am he, and the time has drawn near. If you go to your computer and you type in, is the end of the world close? Some of the first searches that are going to come up are going to be from the Latter-day Saints and from the Jehovah Witnesses because they're saying the time is drawn near. 
He says they're going to say, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, and he goes on to talk a little bit more about the signs of the birth pains. Uh, so we should not be saying, and the time has drawn near. We should say there's a signs of the times and we're living in the last days and Israel is a nation again. But we don't know whether God will not come back for another hundred years. There are those that try to say this is the last generation because the generation that sees Israel become a nation, but there is another application to that passage. And we'll talk about that as we get further on in Luke 21, because that's where we are now in, in, in Sundays. Um, and so I do think that it is, I do think that it is not a, I think it's not a good thing to go, Jesus come back at any moment, so we're not going to have kids or Jesus come back at any moment. So we're not going to, you know, do, do these things. We're to occupy until he comes. And that may mean having kids. And even in these, these last days, remember the last days can be defined from the time the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Because in the book of Joel it says, you know, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh in the last days. And then there's the latter times spoken of in Ezekiel. Then there's the latter days spoken of in Ezekiel. So are we in the last days? Yes, because it's after Pentecost, but we've been in them for 2000 years. We have birth pains happening now with all of the signs that are there. And a lot of the other signs about the last days they are now. But God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so God might postpone his return or God might not come back for another 200 years. And so I'm not sure, L, that I would call it selfishness, but I would say, what I call that selfishness? I, we don't want to have kids because we're living in the last days and we don't want them to suffer. Um, yeah, you, I, I don't know. You would never make that decision if you're pregnant or you would never make that decision if the child were already born. So why not grant them the gift of life? Life is a gift. And I'm not telling you to have kids, okay? I'm saying, don't let this be your thinking that stops you from having kids, all right? Um, and, and, and I think that this is good, solid theology. And um, we need to hear that today. And from a preacher who believes that the signs of the times are upon us, and that we're in the middle of a contraction right now. But the very nature of birth pains is they're intense and then they're not. And so we could have a not for quite a few years before there's another contraction that will eventually birth Jesus Christ into the world. All right, so occupy till it comes, be faithful, work hard, don't be deceived, study the scriptures, uh, learn them well, learn what the Bible has to say about living for Christ, uh, stay close to him. We'll have another Q&A next uh, Wednesday, or excuse me, next Saturday, Lord willing, at four o'clock. Uh, it's been good hanging out with you guys. Great questions today. Love you. Uh, we have a service in an hour. Uh, we are in the book of Luke, and we are going to be talking about the signs of the times, a few of the things that we talked about in our Q&A today. All right. God bless you guys. Love you. I'm out.